Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today are Ninja James Laws of Ninja Forms fame and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. Today, we're going to be doing the usual update between me and James. Um, we haven't really talked much. We've been having guests uh, most for most of the recent episodes, so it's going to be good to catch up. And then we're going to be delving into how James is actually tackling the growth of his company. This is something that we've been discussing uh, privately, so I thought it would be a good idea to share it with you. And uh, for all those who are experiencing growth in their company, be it WordPress or not, I think it's good to know how to tackle certain things. Because obviously, when you're a freelancer moving into products and you're doing things on your own, a lot of things don't really need to be monitored that closely. But when you're growing, and perhaps we can talk about this with James, uh, in the sense of when the breakpoint occurs, when you're growing beyond a certain point, it's important to put some metrics in place, some growth objectives, some processes, and we'll be talking about all that with James today and see how he's tackling it. So... James, any updates from your end? Yeah, before before we get started, I'm I'm a little sad. I, I mentioned this to you before recording. I'm a little sad that we don't do a video podcast yeah. because Jean is looking awfully angelic right now. His background <laughs> is like completely washed white. I feel like he's he's like trapped inside the matrix or something. It's uh <laughs> it's pretty epic. I think you should start doing some video podcasts with this particular setup because that's pretty cool. Feel free uh, to take a <laughs> screenshot. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's, you should take a screenshot, put it in the show notes. Um, it was, it, it's, it's a good view. It's a good look. Instead of, you know, I have this like checkerboard red and black background, which can be a little um, uneasy on the stomach if you're not used to it. But uh, the white is uh, pretty yeah. top notch. Next time um, I'll wear something else apart from my pajamas. So it will be more presentable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know those were pajamas. So you know, I just thought pajamas. you were. I just thought you were into velvet and because <laughs> you got this, that's like maroon velvet shirt on and yeah. <laughs> I can feel the plushness of it already. <laughs> um, anyway, so on updates, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm actually working with, uh, John, our, uh, our, who produces our show for us. We're working on a little side business, mm. John. I didn't tell you, I didn't tell you about this. Um, I, uh, if, for those who don't know, which is probably everyone, I um, I collect playing cards. It's just a little hobby, uh, and I, I I enjoy playing cards. I enjoy close up magic, and I've dabbled in it mm-hmm. on and off with close up magic for years, and and so I've I've just taken to collecting playing cards. And one of the things that I've always had on my bucket list to do sometime for a long time was to design my own deck of cards. And now that I, you know, I buy so many cards and I see all these companies that are producing cards, uh, and John, who we just recently hired full time, he is a, a tremendous artist. And so we've actually are teaming up to do a little side project uh, of maybe possibly entering and you know, creating our own playing card uh, creation company. So publishing yeah. company of our own playing cards. So that's uh, that's something that we're working on. That's kind of fun. Very interesting. I really have no idea. Uh, about this card game card world um yeah uh, what would be some famous card games i guess Is there, are they games actually 
I, well, there. I mean, there are card games. So I'm talking about. Uh, I collect what is considered a standard playing cards. Um, so you know, if you got to go to any uh, drugstore or pharmacy, mm-hmm. you can probably buy like a bicycle deck of playing cards. You've seen them. They have like what they call the blue or the red rider backs, or what they're called. Um, and some of you know, there's other companies uh, actually from the same manufacturer, uh, Mavericks or Aviators or um, B uh, playing cards are another common brand. And but there are lots of other decks of cards. I mean, decks of cards go back way back to, you know, I don't know. I don't know how far back they go. 1700s, 1800s. I don't know. Um, Been around for a really long time. And then there's a there's a modern insurgence, I would say, of playing cards. Not that are not bicycle. They're just all kinds of different decks. So you can have different backs and you may do the court cards, which is like the jack, the queen, the king and, and the ace or whatever. And you may do some really custom designs on those. The suits can be designed in, in modern and, and interesting ways, things like that. So there's just a wide range of ways you can. And I, I have a really small collection. I probably only have about 60 decks of playing cards currently, where there's other people who have 200, 300, 400 decks of cards. So I'm still new to the whole collecting playing cards thing or new to starting it back up because I used to collect when I was a child and I just didn't keep it up and lost a lot of my decks. So it's a fun little thing. But yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of games you play. Famous games people know, right? Obviously poker. Um, things like rummy or gin uh, euchre is a pretty popular game um, that are played with just standard playing cards um, and you know obviously close-up magic is pretty well known for doing close-up card magic and things like that is stuff you'll see a lot of um, so yeah uh, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's I, a fun I'm, little thing I'm looking at Amazon and I came across the bicycle cards yeah, so those are those are kind of like the standard playing cards. Yeah, um, but there's uh you know there's there's there are more decks than I can count. There's a there is a I think it's called uh, I can't remember Portfolio Fifty Two or something like that. That is a playing card database, and there are like thousands of decks of cards in there uh, that people have you know various people have in their collections and so it's a pretty cool little it's a cool little hobby but it's a hobby that's turning into a little side business to i've always thought it'd be fun to create something physical something i could actually hold and touch being in the software business and so this is kind of my uh way to both flex some of my creative design um urge you know kind of urges and desires that i don't get to do a lot of in in sometimes as an administrative business owner and also to work on a physical product that I can actually distribute and sell. So it'll be, it's a fun little side project. I don't know if it'll have, if it'll actually come of anything, but that's, that's kind of what we've been working on. And uh, we just had our first kind of official meeting today to start working on some concepts and hmm. see, uh, see how we want to go. Probably put it on Kickstarter to see if we can get it funded. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really encountered these in Europe, but maybe they're more popular in the US. But actually, I found a link that says that Spanish cards are also full of history. So, yep. Yeah, it's actually pretty fascinating. I mean, most, you know, playing cards are actually kind of, I think I want to say Arabic is like where the Mm -hmm. common playing card came from, the source of playing cards. And then they made their way through Europe uh, and actually, you know, finally made their way to US where I think they became more popular. Mm. But, uh, but they're actually pretty, you know, lot of a uh, lot of there's a few european card production companies and stuff like that so yeah it's, it's a lot of fun so anyway that's so, that's been my project not related to wordpress or uh what, what i currently do so what about magic is that another thing or um m- magic totally it, yeah 
Yeah, I mean, well, magic is magic is probably what got me into playing cards. I loved close-up magic, coin magic, and card magic, and I'm I specifically really liked card magic, and that got me into buying decks for myself to just kind of practice with. And then I started to realize, oh, there's more than just like bicycle and B and all these decks. That there's some really cool decks out there. So then I started buying more and more decks to play around with, and then I started buying. So now when I buy a deck, I buy two of every deck. I buy one that I keep sealed and then one that I open that I can actually handle so that's kind of become okay. my process so that's magic let's like real magic because I was yeah, referring like, to the magic the game oh the magic gathering. the gathering cards yeah no those are totally unrelated okay. uh, totally different thing yeah sorry <laughs> thanks for the primer so hopefully <laughs> our listeners so if anyone's wondering <laughs> I'm talking about close-up magic the effect not magic uh the gathering the playing card game the trading card game or whatever they call it <laughs> sorry for being uncultured guys this was the first <laughs> time i've heard of this stuff that's all right i don't think i don't think magic the gathering is a culture that you should be concerned about <laughs> um, right. but so that's what we've been up to what have you been up to mm-hmm. so yeah so i've been attending two conferences in the past 10 days or so one of them was four years from now for yfn is the abbreviation it's held every every year in barcelona together with the mobile world congress which you might have heard of um, the Mobile World Congress is where many big brands release their new devices like phones, like Nokia released uh, their revamped 3310 phone this year and stuff like that. And for YFN is where there's lots of startups and discussions about what's going to be happening in the next four years. And so that was very interesting because I like kind of get, I'm quite into what's going to happen in the future, futuristic thoughts and discussions. And so it was good to see what people in the industry are talking about. And we've seen a lot of mention, obviously, of AI, home automation, chatbots, and one speaker even suggesting that chatbots will completely replace websites, which I don't really agree with, but certainly they're going to be a very important touch point for customers um, um, contacting companies. And uh, so, yeah, that was really interesting. I actually had the chance to play with some chatbots for um, buying airline tickets online, which was really interesting. And I guess I can see tangibly how chatbots will be replacing a lot of search uh, functionality in sites, such as like, especially coupled with AI, you know, like when you have, uh, when when say you need to search for an Airbnb apartment, um, you have a lot of um, things in your mind, which you're looking for. And if we all have uh, our own AI robot or digital robot, they can get used to our preferences based on our social media interactions, our past purchases, and even stuff that we can teach them. And basically what will happen is that they can then communicate with Airbnb's boss and um, make the purchase for you based on the preference that you actually have. And that would save me like easily a day or two every time we need to book something. So that's that's an interesting that's an interesting direction for the AI bots because you hear a lot about AI bots for companies 
um, like using them for support, like having an AI bot that can like look for keywords and learn based on questions, common questions are asked, and then provide the best answer possible for that user. But what you're talking about is almost uh, idea of taking virtual assistant to a new level because it's not hiring somebody, say, remotely to, to manage your calendar yeah. and to manage your booking, your flights, and your hotel stays, but it's actually having your own personal your own uh, virtual self, if you will, who knows what you like and what you don't like and will book your flights, book your hotel, rent your car and get all that stuff set up for you. That's yeah, I mean, interesting. We'll be seeing lots of jobs being replaced by AI in the future. And for sure, VAs will be one of those because you're always going to be looking at the most, uh, the jobs that can easily be processed um be put down to a process and so i guess vas will be the first to go and there's even talk about programmers becoming redundant due to ai so it will huh. be good to keep a pulse on what's happening during the next few years well i'll tell my, I'll tell my team they've got a yeah. their, their 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 employment is on the on a short leash <laughs> better join you on the cards business <laughs> that's right <laughs> Playing cards for everyone. <laughs> no, that's interesting. I, um, I, I'll be interested to see how this develops. Uh, I am intrigued by the idea of, of virtual assistants being actually virtual and, uh, and how that may play out. So that's, a, that's a definitely an interesting trend um, that I'd love to see. I mean, obviously, this is, this is the direction technology has been going on many levels, and, and we're always progressing closer and closer to that. Um, you, the question we always come to, right. And with advance, with advancements, the way that they are, we assume the sky is the limit. Like there is no real limitation, but at some point you wonder, do you reach a point that, you know, even AI and, and learning, uh, this kind of learning logic and stuff like that, is there a limitation to what it will be able to do? And it's interesting. I, I'm really curious to see how far it goes. Yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot of talk about ethics in AI, obviously. Um, this has been a hot topic, especially in the case of things like driving cars, when a car has to avoid one of two possible accidents, or let's say not oh, accidents. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Kind of stuff. But on the other hand, it's, it's apparently going to happen sooner rather than later. Within the next three, four years, we'll be seeing the mass commercialization of AI-driven cars. So... I would like to offer up uh, a bit to the U.S. presidency to beta test this technology, <laughs> if we could. <laughs> I, I'd be willing to make that change right now, today. Like, plug it in and let's go and see what happens. <laughs> anyway, we'll we'll avoid getting political. <laughs> well, Cleveland will be an ideal place to start testing them with its peaceful <laughs> streets. <laughs> that's that's right. We'll see what happens. Set those cars loose and see who they run over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah another thing was obviously cryptocurrencies um, as we know bitcoin has been surging to unprecedented highs in the past few weeks and days and there was also the emergence of ethereum and the ethereum alliance which was something uh, like a new development so that's also was one of the main highlights and obviously, well, not obviously, everything's not obvious. Um, crowdfunding, <laughs> crowdfunding was another hot topic. And I know you mentioned actually that you might have a Kickstarter campaign for your cards. Yeah. And so we had several 
crowdfunding companies presenting and it's definitely a hot topic especially here in spain where banks like after the crisis banks are being very tight with their money so people are turning to crowdfunding platforms both to fund their projects and to obtain better returns as investors yeah i think the bigger thing with crowdfunding to me in a lot of ways is it validates the idea right i mean Mm -hmm. if you put it out there and enough people are willing to put down like to pay money to see that it gets built then you have validated the market market on some level right that's that's where i think crowdfunding that's i mean from the playing cards perspective i could afford to fund the playing cards but in a way it's a way for saying hey is enough people who want this to produce them and then if if it funds then you've answered that question and so i don't know i think that's that's an it that's that's the I think the interesting draw to me from Kickstarter campaigns. I mean, let's be honest, Pebble did this before they got bought out by mm-hmm. a Fitbit. Pebble did this with every one of their watches. Every time they put out a new watch, I'm like, here's this company that's making so much money from selling these watches. They can't afford to put out a new product line and they would just crowdsource the next version. Um, and I hated it and I kind of railed against the fact that they were doing that, but I kind of get it on some level, right? It validates it. Um, whether or not there's a market for that particular type of, of, uh, resource or not. So yeah, yep. I think it's kind of interesting. Uh, talking about the cryptocurrency stuff did in, in, in the stuff that was being discussed, I know for me, like when I think about this stuff, what's going to take me fully engaging is when it becomes, gets more standardized and more accepted among say major credit cards, major banking and financial institutions, and it finds its way into that. Is there Was there any talk about how that is progressing? Yeah, I mean, uh, the general consensus is that Bitcoin, which is the m- most famous cryptocurrency, has kind of solidified its status as a store of value rather than a medium of exchange. Right. And so while perhaps before we're thinking that we're going to start stores are going to start accepting bitcoin all over we're gonna pay in bitcoin um i don't think this is going to happen with bitcoin specifically however there might be other currencies cryptocurrencies which will take the mantle from uh, in this case and ethereum is actually posing not not in the case of medium of exchange specifically but it allows um, businesses to create um, distributed apps or dApps and basically it uses the technology of smart contracts and it's quite complex and i'm not 100 percent um, knowledgeable enough to explain it in the show but certainly go ahead and look this up so dApps um, in the car and smart contracts in the case of ethereum and so we're the talk was that ethereum will be the complementary cryptocurrency for bitcoin in the future but this is highly speculative at this stage so sure so it sounds to me like Bitcoin is pretty much uh, settled into the place of being digital gold, so to yep. speak, right? You buy mm-hmm. buy this to kind of say, I have all my funds tied up in Bitcoin or in gold or in whatever, and that's how I'm kind of storing my funds. And I'm hoping that that's going to continue to increase in value and not, you know, decrease in value and lose a ton of money. But it's basically yeah. like buying stock on some level. Yeah, I think it's mostly, it's very valuable in the case of people who invested in like, Places like the US or Europe, which have stable currencies, we've seen amazing returns. So that's yeah. great for 
for people like us, but people who are living in places like Venezuela or even in certain places in Africa, it's been their only hedge against their own devaluing currency. So yeah. for them, it's not about the growth of Bitcoin. It's just about retaining their wealth. Or yeah. and obviously, most of these people wouldn't be super rich people they're just normal people who want to protect their nest tech basically yeah that's interesting so yeah i, I hit you know it's, it's funny i haven't been in any conferences yet this year i do i am in about two weeks headed to uh work camp san diego i'll mm -hmm. be speaking there and uh hanging out with uh really briefly with the advanced uh wordpress meetup there cool uh, so seeing everyone now over there and then about a week and a half after that i'll be heading to pressnomics uh, in Phoenix, and then I don't have anything else scheduled until good old Cabo Press in <laughs> uh, in October. Nice. Yeah, I've been actually to WordCamp Alicante, which as far as I know was, was the first time it was organized there. And uh, yeah, it was a good success. I mean, Alicante is a nice place. We visited Granada before for a day. So get to explore a bit more of Spain. And yeah, it was very well organized. I got to meet people like Fernando Tellado, which is who is one of the most popular WordPress personalities here in Spain. And also I loved the presentation by Joan Boluda, who's also lives close to Barcelona, actually. And uh, yeah, so definitely check out these two names, especially if you're Spanish and can read Spanish. Um, those are two good resources for, for you. Awesome. Very cool. So let's turn to what was to be our original discussion for today. Um, yeah. So like I was saying, um, as your, your team has been growing, you like in our conversations, I've seen this trend of you trying especially in your, in your case, you've been focusing on the finance and administrative aspects of the business. And I'm seeing, I've seen this drive in recent months where you're trying to build values, objectives, processes, and keep everyone on track basically, and not lose your way as the team continues to grow on a rapid, uh, on a fast basis. So tell us what you've been up to and some uh, gems that you've learned along the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really what it comes down to, I think in the early stages when you're bootstrapping a business, uh, there comes a time, I think eventually, where you feel like, oh, this might be a real business, mm -hmm. and we might have to do things like a, like a real business instead of just flying by the seat of our pants. So yep. I kind of remember in the early days when I would make projections after like our first year or first few months, and I started to see the trends, I'd be like, all right, uh, I'm projecting we're going to do X sales in this next month. And I didn't do anything to make sure that happened. I just kind of guessed. And then I saw, is that where we ended up? So there wasn't a whole lot of intention, you know, being intentional to get us to that point. As you get bigger, um, you know, especially, I, I can't speak for every company, right? But there comes a point where you're, you're kind of climbing, uh, you have a pretty good angle of growth happening. And then as you get bigger, that percentage sometimes will lower because the numbers are bigger, right? So the bigger your numbers get, it's harder to maintain that same kind of percentage of growth in month after month, year after year. So at some point you start thinking, all right, we have to be a little more intentional and strategic about what our expenses look like, what our payroll looks like, uh, when can we hire, when can we not hire, when can we take on this new big project or whatever the case may be. 
And if you don't have some sort of procedures and systems and processes and appropriate forecasting to kind of inform that and actually have some business objectives that you're aiming for and plans to actually see those objectives take place, um, then you're still running your business like you did in year one, but you're in year four and you can't do that. Right. So it's like it's it's the old adage, right? What got you here won't get you there. You're not going to get to the next level by doing the same thing you've always done. Uh, at some point, you have to shift because the numbers are different. The game is different. The product is different. The customers might have been even become different. Uh, your team is different. All of that stuff changes. And so as you add, you know, working with a team of three, uh, you do things a certain way. But once you get to a team of 10, you can't do things the way you did as a team of three. And when you get to a team of 20, you can't do what you did as a team of 10. And so at each stage, you have to kind of rethink your business, rethink your procedures and processes and decide how do we function now? Yeah, I think it would be interesting for our audience who I know have mixed uh, sizes of themes. Um, if we could maybe discuss like specific breakpoints that we've met in our businesses where like uh, as you reach this breakpoint, you need to take a step to implement a certain process or a certain piece of software. So you're, you're a bit further um, ahead of me in terms of growth, but we, we can share surely share a few things like, you know, the obvious, starting from the obvious, implementing something like Help Scout or customer um, uh, when you're alone you can even manage with gmail but like if you manage yeah. if you have your next employee or freelance uh, helper you're gonna need something like help scout so i wonder if you have any breakpoints in mind which we can discuss yeah i mean i think when i look at it i look at it as how the team has changed mm -hmm. um when we determined when we needed to hire and add new people to the team and certainly these breakpoints can happen without hiring new people uh but you know when we when it it kind of happened where kevin and i were both working full-time jobs and we had this product the next break point is when i quit my job full-time uh and and when i did that i built a support system that I could help manage the support stuff. So I used Ninja Forms to handle all of the, the collection of data and the responses that was built into our WordPress site and stuff like that. And that worked really well. And then we reached a second break point, which is when Kevin moved back from uh, Europe and basically kind of relocated in, in our hometown. And we were both full time. And at that point, we both still use the same support system. Not a lot had changed, but we were now both kind of involved. The next big breakpoint came when we hired Zach, our, our, who took over support, and he came in and said, this support system doesn't work. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we need something new. And that's when we ended up transitioning to Help Scout. So Help Scout was our next transition for a support system. And that worked really well. There's a number of reasons why having a support system on your WordPress install is a terrible idea. Um, I know a lot of times the goal in WordPress, uh, businesses seems to be, I want everything in WordPress. I want my lead generation in WordPress. I want my support in WordPress. I want my reporting in WordPress. I want my CRM in WordPress and all of this stuff. And in the end, 
that ends up just being messy, especially it does just doesn't scale well over time when you get so especially since every WordPress plugin likes to put everything in the in the like the post type <laughs> table <laughs> after a while, like our post type table on Ninja Forms is insane. I can't, couldn't tell you how many hundreds of thousands and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rows we have inside that that stupid table. Uh, and so support was doing the same thing, right? Support was posting stuff in our support forum was yeah. posting into that and it just got became cumbersome. It was slowing the website down, making queries a lot harder to grab data that we needed and just was a bad solution for us. And so we ended up transitioning um, to to help scout for that. But each for us, every breakpoint how ha- ha- happened when we realized we needed another team member. Um, so for us, it, like I said, it was me full time, then Kevin full time, then we hired Zach, then we hired two almost back to back, another support person and a developer. And and so every, ours has been really team growth. It's kind of determined our breakpoints until we've gotten to the point where we are now, where now revenue numbers are also becoming a a kind of determination of how many how much procedure and process we need to have in place. Volume of customers is becoming a a break point for us where, okay, at this volume, we know we can't handle it. So an example, a discussion we're having right now is free support. Um, we have a limited, you know, we have a limited size team. We're a team of 10 right now. And, you know, everybody does, we do all hand support. So everybody's in support at some point at one time or another. But at, in the end, you know, we really can't, we're throwing money away on some level when we spend, spend too much time supporting the free users doesn't mean we don't want to support them, but we cannot afford the best cost, right? Our best employees, our our highest paid developers to handle free support. It just isn't, it isn't cost effective. So now we're talking about, all right, what our next step for support might be actually outsourcing free support and, and hiring contractors, uh, you know, maybe even you know, overseas for us to say, hey, if as long as, you know, as long as they are fluent in, in you know, reading and writing in English, then and we can give them a procedure to follow for how free support is handled. Can we outsource that and maybe save some money and, and still pay a good wage there, even though it's cheaper for us in the long run? So experimenting with that is the next conversation I think we even have from a, a business perspective from support. So those breakpoints for us were that, like that, like I said, teams, revenue, um, and just your volume of customers. And what have been some of the, you know, the, the processes that you've been setting up lately? And just to give an idea, we've already mentioned this, but can you give an idea what how, how big the team size is at the moment? Yeah. So I, I feel bad every time somebody asks me the size of the team, I have to have close to count my them. eyes. <laughs> I have to count the people. So I'm like, all right, well, we got five and six, seven, eight, nine. So we're at 10. <laughs> we so we do have 10. I was right about that. So we currently have 10 people on the team right now. Um one of which is part-time and the other nine are full-time. Um of course of that nine it's also including me and Kevin uh, as the partners of the business. And so that's where our team size is right now. Uh, we've just recently hired uh, a new developer and as I mentioned we hired John full-time who was also working part-time. So now he's doing things like graphics and writing and and stuff like that for us and kr is a developer primarily javascript based so that's very useful for us since uh, ninja forms is primarily a javascript application so having another javascript developer who also knows php is is super useful 
So we just hired that developer. So we're putting in processes for a number of things, right? Because here's here's what we've found as a company as we've gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And this may, to some companies who have this all figured out, they may be like, well, you guys are morons. Like, you should have had this stuff already figured out. But the truth is, uh, at some point, we realized that we had no real process for determining what was the best thing to work on. And where we should be focusing our most of our intent, our our um, attention. And what I mean by that is, it's not just like, oh, we got this really cool add-on that we think would make us another five thousand dollars a month. Let's build that. It like there's no. It was just like what is interesting or what is um, urgent, you know. And at times, what happens is we get so caught up with the urgent, the urgent bug, the urgent whatever that we have no way of making sure that other progress is being made in the product. And so finding a way to say, okay, we're gonna make sure the urgent gets taken care of, but we also have systematized to make sure all of these other things are also going to get taken care of. And we're juggling a lot. I, when we talk about Ninja Forms, a lot of times I talk about it like we're a single plugin, but we are not a single plugin. We are, by our own team, we manage probably about 20 plugins and we manage collaborating developers of another 30 to 40 plugins, right? So there is a lot of work going on. And so there is this idea of we have to instruct the collaborating developers how to do certain things within core because it's three is a definitely a different code base. It's a different beast. So there's an instruction there. It's making sure it meets our standards. It's making sure that it converts from old code base to the new code base. It's making sure that it, that the UI fits and it looks right, that they've not come up with something weird and crazy. It's making sure that those things are documented and the product pages are updated. Uh, it, it's so it's converting. So it's getting all of that stuff together and you say, well, that's a lot of work to get all that done. And then we have to also convert our own plugins, and that takes time. But while that's happening, support's coming in with bugs for this issue or this issue, and it may not affect a ton of people, but if it affects, you know, if it, if it bogs down our support team, then it's important and we need to deal with it. Even if it only impacts 20 people, if it's 20 people that our support team can't get out of our support queue and help and get their issue resolved, it's problematic. And so we have these the, the bugs that come in, and then there's just features that we've been wanting. I've got a list of a document of features that I have wanted for three years that are still not in core. And so we've got features that we want to add in. So we're maintaining all of that. And then we have the marketing side of things, right? So we want to do, we have, do we have ads running, uh, articles that are being written, case studies, newsletters, email marketing, um, making sure images are being created for all of the products that we have in app, uh, upsells where, where appropriate and not like sleazy, like, all of these things that we're kind of building out. So 10 people, that's a lot of stuff even for 10 people to try to keep track of. So in a lot of ways, we're still drowning trying to get that. And so what we decided was, one, I don't think we want to hire more people to get the work done. So the best thing we can do is come up with better processes to make sure things don't fall through the cracks and that everything gets updated. So like, for instance, today is a big release day because of our new processes. We have four new CRMs that have finally been updated to the 3.0 code base that are being released. We have uh, user management, which has finally been updated for 3.0, and a new add-on that we built as a side project uh, for a, a company called Recurly. So we have Recurly being launched out as an add-on for Ninja Forms. And these are all coming out today. And, and last week, we actually rolled out uh, Stripe Checkout finally for our Stripe add-on. So we're actually seeing progress on the development team. 
uh, because we have put in some better team management and processes. We've pulled Kevin out of development of time-sensitive work, and he's now just managing the four other developers. So he is telling the other developers, here's what you're working on, and he, I'm and his job is to get them unstuck. We've put in processes uh, in place to says, stop getting, uh, stop spending more than, you know, stop spending hours trying to f solve a problem. If it takes you more than 10 to 15 minutes, ask. Somebody else may know the answer. Just ask the question instead of wasting four hours for you trying to get to the answer. Sure, you might get to it in four hours, but if Kevin can help you get there in 10 minutes, that's better. So putting in like the simple processes that says communicate often, ask questions when you get stuck, you know, how to properly hand off a project, making sure our code is documented so we can hand it um, along the other developers in place, our processes and procedures we're putting in place that, I mean, like I said, these things are common sense for a, a, a mature development team, but we've not been a development team. We've been a developer and maybe a second developer. Now we actually have a development team. And so we have to actually think of how does a development team function? So there's a certain size, right, where after a while you have to get to that point where you're like, okay, we can't just say we're writing code. <laughs> no, like what are, what are the issues being worked on? What are the urgent bugs? Let's put them together. Let's figure out what, what will actually have the biggest impact on our business objectives uh, that we're aiming for for the year. Hmm, very interesting. And uh, like you spoke of things falling through the cracks. And I think uh, we were earlier discussing two specific examples where <clears throat> you have to like to, to illustrate the fact that you have to really be on the ball and know everything that's happening in the business as a CEO of the business in this case. Um, I wonder if you could share these two specific cases that perfectly illustrate, in my opinion, this point. Yeah, so the actual, the funny one was I was listening to a podcast. So this is my podcast referral to for everyone. If you've not listened to this podcast, you should definitely should check it out. Um, it's the it's about the funnest financial podcast you'll ever listen to, and it's called Profit First. And you can check it out at profit. I think profitfirstpodcast.com. And one of their latest episodes, they had a gentleman on who was talking, telling his story about how he had three hundred thousand dollars embezzled out of his company uh, over the course of three years. And so as he tells the story, basically what happened is, you know, as a CEO, like many of us, right, we just assume certain things are getting done and and certain administrative processes are in place. And he had a payroll company that he had hired to, to process his payroll. Now, he's in retail and he has, you know, probably 200 plus employees. I don't remember the exact number, but he has, you know, a couple hundred employees and he's got retail spaces all over the place. And, you know, fraud and theft and stuff is probably a regular occurrence in this gentleman's life. And uh, but in, in this particular instance, over three years, the payroll representative, not the payroll company specifically, but the representative who was handling his account was embezzling money by creating fake employees in his payroll records and basically funding these credit card accounts. And uh, he didn't notice it until he finally was trying to get into some reporting and stuff like that. And he finally got logged in and he pulled up the reports and he noticed that there was a particular employee that payroll was for $110,000 for the year. 
And he said the reason this stood out is he only has a handful of people that make over 100000 and he knows them all personally by name when they get paid that much. And so he's like, I know them all by name, and I didn't recognize this person. So that started me asking questions, and as he dug deeper, it turned out that he, you know, and the FBI got involved, and it, it became a whole big thing, uh, as it should have. But what what it revealed, right, as as CEOs sometimes, as especially, and this, I think this is important as our team grows. This is this is a team growth thing, a lesson to learn. As your team grows, you hand off not only responsibility but many times authority to run your business, and that may be payroll or accounting. That may be customer service. That may be development. That may be any number of things within your business. But you, as the business owner or as the CEO, right, you have to know that the fine details are getting taken care of. So you need to have a process, a procedure, a system in place that you can make sure that these things are getting done. So that was that experience. Now I'll tell you the personal one where, I, where it happened to me just recently. Uh, I found out recently uh, that when we refund transactions... Um, in our in our pay, in our shopping cart system, when those transactions get refunded, uh, we sell other add-ons. Remember, I mentioned we have all of these collaborating developers that sell add-ons on our marketplace that we work with, and they make seventy percent of every sale that they make. We take thirty percent for being the marketplace for handling the transaction for first touch of documentation support. Um, and they get 70%. So they get the lion's share of the, of the transaction. Well, when we process a refund for say a, you know, I'll just use hundred dollars as an example, right? We sell a plugin for hundred dollars for that developer. We take $30, they take $70. Well, something happens because we have to refund the transaction. Maybe it didn't do what they said, or they were within the 14 day pro you know, period or whatever the case may be. We refund that transaction. Well, when we refund that transaction, the assumption would be, right, logically, everything that's attached to that transaction also gets reversed, right? So when the process is transact, when we process the transaction, it says, hey, this developer gets 70% of this. Let me go ahead and mark that. And hey, this was, you know, here's this, here's the credit card transaction number, and here's this was what happened, and this, this was the discount code they used, or whatever the case may be, all that detail. When you reverse it, when you refund it, you would think all that stuff gets reversed, all that stuff gets changed back. Well, it turns out that the commissions that get that got um, associated with the purchase did not get reversed. That did not happen automatically. That was supposed to be a manual process. So you have to actually open up that commission and revoke it whenever you refund the transaction. So in my example of a $100 transaction, we didn't know that we weren't revoking it. So instead, we were we would refund that transaction but we would still have to foot the bill for the $70 commission. Well, this has been going on apparently for since we've been used since we've been doing this, so a few years. Somewhere in the vicinity of 10 to $20,000. Um, I haven't done the hard numbers. I'd have to really dig in deeper to get the exact number. But the point is, at this point, it's a wash no matter what the numbers are. So <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost uh, don't want to know what the numbers are because I, I feel like that's better because I'm afraid that if the number gets bigger, like I might have an aneurysm. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like I had just assumed right that that this would happen and i don't do process refunds my team does i've handled off that work so i don't see those transactions the only reason i caught it this time was i just happened to be handling a support request that was a refund refund request and i noticed that 
when everything else was getting logged as being reversed, this particular thing was not being logged as reversed. And I started to do some research and ask some questions. And sure enough, now the beautiful thing about this on the sets. So, so yeah, so that's a lot of money and it hurts. And that's a, it's a, it's a great tale of be aware of the finer details of your business. Don't assume everything is getting taken care of. Figure out how you put in checks and balances to make sure these things are taken care of. For us, the benefit is we gave some extra money to some great collaborating developers who have been really good to the Ninja Forms ecosystem. They build great products. They support their products. And we are very appreciative of all the hard work that they put into the system. And so they got a lot of extra money. I need to send them a message to even let them know this happened because they, uh, they, they are not even aware of this. But, uh, you know, in the end, we gave we gave away ten to twenty thousand dollars to some really good people who uh, we could have done worse. <laughs> it could have it could have been a lot worse. We could that, you know, that money could have gone to people that we don't respect and care about and, and stuff like that. But it went to some really good people. So it's a lesson learned. We now know we've built processes in now to say, here's how you check this stuff. Make sure that you're always keeping track of all of this and. And all that. But it's it's a life lesson, right? That as your business grows and you hand off more authority and responsibility, you have to make sure that you have procedures, processes, systems in place to make sure the finer details are taken care of because it could cost you 20000 or $300,000 if you're not careful. And let's be honest, losing a lot of money just because you didn't have something in place to look, <laughs> to, to, to verify feels really bad like you feel you just feel like such an idiot to say you know we lost our company lost twenty thousand dollars just because i didn't look i didn't think to look i just assumed and that's that's hmm. a stupid thing so just keep that in mind yeah and that's like uh, a sad story but hopefully our audience will be able to learn from it um for sure as a business owner a business owners we tend to instinctively find these issues at least at some point you know like uh, or at least we check things randomly even though we don't have a process but when yeah, you're handing yeah. off things people tend to have a much narrower scope and they're at the end of the day they're there to do their job do what you've asked them to do and go home you know so they're not gonna randomly uh, one evening decide to check how refunds are doing or chargebacks are doing you know which is yeah. something that we might do and so you kind of um, don't discover these things unless you're doing it yourself or you have processes in place and a lot of the things or a lot of the, a lot of the times where the integrations break <clears throat> are well a lot of things where a lot of times where things break are where there there are integrations. So we have things like email getting caught up in our spam inbox in Gmail and not being sent to Help Scout. We had stuff where we were using to check out the payments were coming in, but not being marked as paid in EDD. So there are people not receiving their downloads and stuff like that, you know. So you have to be really careful whenever... Um, you make an integration with anything, even though it's just a plugin that's supposed to activate and work. I think in general, we've grown very trusting of the internet and the way it's supposed to work, but we forget that it's still early days on the internet and <laughs> a lot of stuff actually breaks very frequently. And we've also seen systems like, you know, Amazon Web Services going uh, going offline this week right and so yeah. yep. everything breaks and everything has to be monitored closely and you can't think 
take anything for granted. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we, we, you know, I remember one time we had this issue where somebody reported a possible security issue with the plugin, and somehow that ticket got closed in our support system and we didn't see it until this person said, Hey, I haven't heard anything in, you know, X amount of days. Mm -hmm. I need to, I need to, I, I want to disclose this, but you know, I'm trying to do this the responsible way. And all we could say is we're sorry. Like mm -hmm. it fell through, like something happened and, and it, mistakes happened and I don't know what caused it. Sometimes we, and here's the hard thing is sometimes these things are traceable. Sometimes you can track this down to a person or an event that caused it. Uh, other times it's not. Sometimes just things happen and go wrong and you just have to roll with the punches. But if you're not paying attention to your systems, um, you know, that's why, you know, while, you know, we're doing a lot more sales and Zach is our customer service guy and he's been also looking at marketing. I always have to remind him you are customer service first, which means the support tool is your tool. You're responsible to make sure that tool is working to its fullest capacity for our team um, because there's nobody else on the team to take care of that. Like you, that tool is your responsibility the same way the sales numbers. And, and honestly, when things fail with uh, with our shopping cart or how transactions that falls on me, that's kind of my wheelhouse. So I have to figure out what went wrong. So we all have those places in the business where we put teams in charge. But you have to follow up sometimes and ask the questions. You mentioned one actually to me that I wrote a note down before the show that I'm like, oh, I didn't know about that. I'm going to have to check and make sure that's getting taken care of. So those are things that we have to do. Uh, as, as And again, especially as your team is growing and diversifies in responsibility, um, there's it's like there's there's more people doing those few things, but you still have to make sure those few things are getting taken care of. All right. So I guess it's time to wrap up. Um, this has been a very interesting conversation and i'm sure <clears throat> we're gonna pick this up again in the future with perhaps more specific examples of processes that that we've put into place and perhaps we could even discuss uh, this with uh, with a guest perhaps so we will definitely pick the pick up on this again and in the meantime if you have any questions to us um, please you can uh, obviously contact us on what was it must podcast at mastermind.fm and obviously, we'd love it if you leave a review in iTunes. And uh, James, what else? Where can they contact us and where can they contact you personally? Yeah, well, you can contact me personally on Twitter at James Laws. That's probably the best. Of course, uh, mastermind.fm is also on Twitter at mastermind.fm minus the dot. And you can contact us there. We tweet out, uh, you know, very current and past episodes so you can kind of get up to date and uh, you can also contact us there to ask questions so we'd love to know uh, if anything has impacted you or if you'd like to share uh, you know your own experiences with something we've talked about we'd love to hear your stories and of course uh, as we always mention and, and John mentioned right like uh, we love reviews, so go head on over to iTunes, leave us a review, let us know what you think of the episodes, and uh, we'll just keep doing what we're doing, putting out some fun business conversations. Don't forget to have our speed pipe where you can actually record your question, and we'll play it on the podcast. I think it was quite popular in the early days of the podcast, but somehow we ourselves forgot mention it <laughs> yeah that's so true it's still there so you can use it um yeah that's it you can contact me at john galea on twitter or follow me on my website johngalea.com we'll see you in the next episode of mastermind.fm see you next time